Despite all my rage, I am still just a rat in a cage. Well, some rock and roll lyrics never go out of style. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, you're listening to the 48 Days Radio Show, where each week we take 48 minutes to dive into real-life questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then finding or creating work that allows you to show up every day excited to be able to do something that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. This is where normal indecision and ambiguity come to die. Welcome to the 48 Days Radio Show. Well, we got a lot of fun things to cover today. Here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at. I would love to move into a position where I can work in student ministry full time. What this one, Dan, Dan, my wife is rightfully worried about us losing our insurance and the security that comes with federal employment if I try to start something on my own. And what about this question? What if I don't need any more money? I've got an interview with my good friend, Aaron Walker, who has a brand new book out, View from the Top. We're going to be talking about that. But the premise is, what do you do if you don't need any more money? Aaron's got some insights on that that we all ought to listen to because we all ought to get up with that approach anyway. If it's just for the money, our success, our satisfaction is going to be short-lived. has to be more than that. We'll talk about that. And then somebody says, Dan, I want to do something outside of the software development area. Well, we'll talk about the challenges of leaving something where you've proven your talent and have had success for a long time. I've been pulling poems from the 48 poems that our friend Cliff Feitner writes, has done 48, adds to those weekly, it seems, when they come in. Here's his poem for today from the 48 Days Poems. The talents of which you've been blessed, are they helping in your life's quest? Do they help make you money, keeping life sunny, or are they inside being oppressed? Jesus stuff is insightful. Unbelievable. What wisdom he packs into four little lines or five little lines as this one is. The 48 Poems. Cliff's one of the active members of the new 48 Days Eagles community. Love having people like Cliff in there who so willingly share. If you haven't checked that out yet, check it out. 48dayseagles.com. Growing community. Every day people are being added in there. We're having lots of fun and sharing lots of things that are helping people increase their success. Well, he just one last announcement about my buddy Cliff Ravenscraft's next level workshop that he's got coming up June 16th and 17th. So depending on when you're listening to this, I mean, this comes out on June the 9th, but depending on when you're listening, it may already be too late, but you can check it out. If you want to build a business around your podcasting efforts, that's the focus of his next level workshop. Now, certainly you hear me do that. I love the podcast and it is the core marketing piece of my business without any question. It has, it does more in terms of making everything else work than any other one thing I could put my finger on. So if you're interested in that, just go to podcastanswerman.com slash next level workshop. That's Cliff Ravenscraft's 
workshop coming up at his own beautiful home just up south of Cincinnati on June 16th and 17th. Well, I've got a, a free book I'm going to give away based on one of our listeners' offer here, which is really cool. This comes from Nance Schick, who is an attorney in New York City. She's in New York. She's an attorney, arbitrator, mediator, conflict resolution, a coach. And she says, it dawned on me that you're the 48-day guy and my 48th birthday is this month in June. I'd like to express gratitude to others on my birthday. I would like to offer the first 48 of your listeners who respond a free download of my book, DIY Conflict Resolutions. Seven Choices and Five Actions of a Master. Now, DIY, just do-it-yourself, conflict resolution. And she goes through things in there, like resolving conflicts with your... These aren't necessarily legal things, but the conflicts you've got with your own self-confidence, conflicts with your environment, conflicts with time, conflicts resolving self-image conflict, conflicts with relationships, conflicts at work. But how to resolve those? She talks about a concept that I really love called the third eye, a third third ear, rather, the third ear where you're listening uh, beyond the ability that we normally think we've got with our two ears. The third ear, when the third eye is blind, it hinders wisdom. When the third ear is deaf, it hinders connection and resolution. Okay, so here's the deal. It's a lengthy URL. The only way that makes sense to do this is to put it as a link in the show notes for today. So if you're listening, if you go to 48days.com, click on the podcast, go to this show and click on the link for the DIY conflict resolution. Then when you go there, add that book to your shopping cart. When you go to checkout, it'll ask you for a code. So the book is $9.99 is what you're going to see. Click on that. Say that you want that. When you go to checkout, put in 48 days as a code, and it'll take that $9.99 away and make it zero. And you could download the delightful little book. Thanks to our listener, Nance Schick, for that gift. And happy birthday. Well, John says, my heart and passion are with student ministry in the church. Again, I've I've talked the last couple weeks about the fact that we get these continuing questions about our theological life of being not only our beliefs, but also our daily actions. And John says, my heart and passion are with student ministry in the church. I've been working on a volunteer basis for two years now, and I would love to move into a position where I can work with students full time. My problem is sourcing a job. I don't even know where to begin. I'm ready to follow my passion full time and be able to influence the lives of students for God in a more powerful way and not have a 50 to 60 hour week day job taking up so much time. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for all you do. Well, John, you may decide you don't want my advice after I give it here because I'm going to make you think about what it is that you're requesting. Incidentally, if you want a job, go to churchjobs.net. I mean, they have tons of jobs listed there. So can you find a job? Absolutely. Now, when we look at the size of most churches, I mean, a church has to be if you're going to be a student pastor, student minister with a full-time position, you know, they're going to have to have 1,500 members or so. So that really narrows the number of churches that are out there because a big proportion of churches don't have that many members. I mean, the average church in America in some denominations is about 75 
members. So we're talking about you've already really made a large, large screening process if you are looking for a full-time position as a student minister. What I'm suggesting is why limit yourself so much on that? You may already be part of a church where they could use your services as a volunteer, but couldn't justify paying you as a full-time position. I think that works to your advantage and to their advantage and to the student's advantage, frankly. Now think about this a little bit. I'm just going to challenge your thinking on this. What if you're a student pastor in a church and there's a kid who's, you know, 16 years old and he's way too aggressive with the girls in a group in an appropriate way. However, his dad is chairman of the board for the church and oversees all positions in the church. Are you going to possess jeopardize your job to call the kid out? See, that's what happens when the church becomes your employer. All of a sudden you better be real careful about what you say because your employer is putting groceries on the table and paying your mortgage. It changes your ability to speak freely. It changes your ability to really speak from what God may be telling you to do with the kids in that church, because now you're trying to please your employer and that employer, believe me, is not God. That employer is the church. If they're writing your check, let me give you another example. And there's a whole lot of you that that write me questions every week that are similar to this. You know, you want to have a full-time job in the church. What if you have a job with the church? And now, so you are that student pastor. Now you and your wife, golly, you saw, you know, the Gaither homecoming program on TV and oh my gosh, they're promoting the cruise they're going to do in March of 2018 Caribbean cruise. You would love to go. You guys really need a break. Uh, our buddy Ken Davis is going to be there. Buddy Green from here in Franklin is going to be there. David Phelps. There's going to be other speakers, you know, would inspire you and help you to be better in your ministry work. But my goodness, I mean, the rooms for you and your wife started over $4,000 with just a, a mediocre room. You'd need another 2000 for travel and arrangements for your kids for that week. And a church is paying you $38,000 a year. How are you going to make that work? You can't go. But now what if we revise that a little bit? What if you're in a job that pays you $65,000 a year? And you're a student, minister, volunteer. You're available 15 hours a week for awesome work with the kids. You bring a real life perspective and can talk about the job challenges that they're getting ready to face. You have the freedom to speak truth without worrying about offending your employer. And you have that discretionary money to go on a cruise without having people wonder if maybe they're paying you too much. Golly, I mean, I know people, I know a guy who, I I know a guy who is in full-time ministry. His father-in-law was a Ford dealer and very successful. His father-in-law gave him, as his son-in-law, a brand new T-Bird. This is several years ago when the new T-Bird models came out. Gave him a brand new T-Bird. So there was no cost. He had so much criticism of him driving that new T-Bird, he gave it back to his father-in-law. Because here's the deal. How can he continue to ask for donations when he's driving a new T-Bird, you know, or Mercedes or Lexus, whatever it happens to be. I've seen that happen over and over and over again. If you're asking for money for your ministry, you're going to have people looking over your shoulder 
at every decision you make, every decision you make, they see at a nice restaurant, my goodness, how can you afford to be here? If you have a bottle of wine, oh, we're paying yourself. I'm not even sure you should be having a bottle of wine, depending on where you go to church. Well, frankly, I would never be able to sleep at night with that kind of um, microscopic looking over my shoulder. I think you can do better ministry when you are part of the real world, when you have a job, when you pay your own way. I mean, look at what, go back and read the writings of Paul in the New Testament. Paul says you need to be a tent maker. You need to do something to provide your own way so you don't have to modify your message based on what the people who are telling or you're serving want to hear. If you get into the process of what he called just tickling their ears, you've compromised your message. And a lot of people do that because they're at risk of losing their paycheck. Oh, I think, I think you're better off. I think you can do more powerful ministry with the kids in the church by having a job and being connected in the way that most of us are than by forcing yourself in under the umbrella of the church alone. Well, there you go. I probably offended a whole bunch of you all at once there today, but uh, certainly my opinion. And when you ask for it, that's what you're going to get here. Take it for what it's worth. But uh, I see some real challenges in the way that we pay people to then minister to us. I think you ought to be in ministry full time. Now, what that looks like can vary. If that's as a pastor, well, it could be, but it can also likely be as a truck driver or as a plumber, an electrician or a brain surgeon or a dentist. Those are all opportunities for full-time ministry and the way that you connect with people and serve and provide hope and encouragement. They're just different vehicles for engaging with people, which is what ministry is. Well, Here's a question it says miserable, but should be happy. Dan, I just recently discovered your books and podcast. Uh, after listening to you, your interview on the beyond the to-do list podcast, I've got a conundrum and would love your advice. I work for the federal government as a well-paid graphic and web designer. I've been with the VA now for four years. It's meaningful work and it's work that I really enjoy doing as a side business too. Unfortunately, I'm miserable. I hate my hour plus commute each way every day and can't shake the self-loathing that comes from knowing my pay is merely the stolen wages from those business owners who create value in the world. Ouch. He's describing our taxation system as stolen wages from those business owners who create value in the world. Okay, wow, that's a pretty strong statement about how you view the work that you're doing. Um, it continues, I would love to work for myself, ideally from home or while on the road, and do something extraordinary that creates value in the world. I like graphic design and I'm good at it, but really also like my academic pursuits and writing both in Judeo-Christian theology, history, and in leadership theory. But my wife is rightfully so worried about us losing our insurance and the security that comes with federal employment if I try to start something on my own. Well, golly, if you try to start something on your own after doing what you're doing, you know, when you talk about security in a job that you loathe, I mean, what does security mean? I mean, security should mean that we feel good about what we're doing, that we feel like we're really adding value. And all those things are negated in what you're describing. You've got to look for something else. And the security that you think you have by being a federal employer employee is an illusion anyway. 
But we, we at, at a recent event, we had two different university professors who had lost their jobs after they had tenure. Tenure implies that you can never lose your job, even if you're incompetent at that point. Well, those, those clauses are usually still in there, but it means you're going to lose your job. Well, if things change, university isn't making money. Yeah, you're going to lose your job. And if you're in a government position and things slow down, hey, you could, they could have you out of there next week. But you've got to look for something else with the kind of feelings that you're talking about. If you're well paid as a graphic and web designer, I mean, explore doing something on the side. I mean, we, we have people all the time and you hear me talk about the model. Do something on the side in graphic and web design where you then get to where you're generating 50% of your current salary. If you can create 50% of your current salary by using 15 hours a week on the side, then, boy, you're in good shape to quit your job. Because certainly with the increased hours, you can then duplicate and surpass the income that you have now. Use that as a model. Get something up and running, but give yourself 48 days to be out of there. You need to make a move. Absolutely. Well, this comes from Jim, who says, despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. He says, I've been in the software development industry for 11 years. I've been sick of it for several years now. It's way past time for me to break out of this cage. I want to do something outside of the software development area. Since I've been engulfed in the technology field for so long, I feel like that's all I know. How do I choose another field? How do I break into another field after choosing? Okay. All right, Jim, here's what you need to do. I mean, software development is a very broad field. Could you move to an organization where you felt there was more connection to your personal mission? I mean, when software development is so ubiquitous, I mean, it, it's, it's so a part of every company in the world at this point. So it doesn't narrowly define what it is you're doing. I mean, if I say administrative assistant, I mean, that could be working for, you know, a nonprofit organization where you're making $18,000 a year. It could be making, or it could be working for, you know, a high level executive where you're making $200,000 a year, the same term. Software development is kind of like that. Be careful about just waltzing away from that, saying you don't want to do any of that because there's, there are millions of opportunities that would fall under that category. And it may mean that you need a modification in what you're doing, where you're doing it. So when you say you want to break out of the cage, what are some ideas about what you would be moving to? I mean, leaving is one thing. But without a clear plan on what you're going to, you're setting yourself up for frustration and resentment. So identify what other skills do you have? How would you provide clear and unique value for an organization outside of the technology area? Do you have ideas for businesses you can do on your own? I mean, I'd encourage you to go back to the introspection part of 48 Days to the Work You Love. And I'll send you a copy of that. I'll send you a fresh copy, uh, Jim, of 48 Days to the Work You Love. I'm going to start doing that pretty much for everybody whose question I answer here. Send you one of, one of the books that we have here as a resource, just as a bonus, just as a thank you for submitting the questions. But uh, anyway, I'm going to send you a brand new copy of 40 Days to the Work You Love. But go through the introspection part in there. Get clear on what you're moving to. Then do a job search, start to get offers or start your own business and get 90 days under your belt to see the trends. Then give yourself a two-week notice, and make the transition. All right? Now, I can't leave this without playing from Smashing Pumpkins 
the clip that you describe so clearly in your beginning. Despite all my rage, I am still just a rat in a cage. Now, hang on. We're going to blast into this. Just it's graphic lyrics. And we're going to listen to just that part and then move on. Oh, my God. Told you we were going to blast into it. There you go. Not complicated lyrics. <laughs> well, there you go. Like a lot of rock lyrics, they go on and on and on. But that you get the gist. Despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. Well, great to have that. Wow. Now, I want to pull up an interview that I did this week. Just a conversation I had with my friend Aaron Walker. Now, you've heard me talk about him, how he came out of... Uh, bricks and mortar kind of businesses and got into coaching and has absolutely skyrocketed to the top. And he got into coaching, not because he needed a new income stream, but because he realized he had a gift to share. So he approached it very, very differently than a lot of people get in. So without any more on that, I want you to hear about his approach to work and his new book that he's got out. Well, Aaron, it's a delight to have you on. My audience is very familiar with your name because I share so much of your story over and over again. And now you're just launching your brand new book, View from the Top. So welcome on to 48 Days. Well, thank you, Dan. It's like my hero. I mean, you're the guy. You're the reason that I'm even doing what I'm doing. I tell everybody the best part of the book is the foreword because my buddy Dan Miller wrote it. Uh, well, it was a delight to do that. It's been a long time coming. And then the cool thing is, you know, this is really uncharted territory for you. You've had a lot of success in a lot of things that are totally unrelated to coaching and writing. And here all of a sudden you just come onto the scene. So I love the fact that you chose a new industry to get in. And I want you to tell our, our listeners about that a little bit. But you're, you're one and you start right off in your book. I mean, the book is titled View from the Top. And you talk about the fact that at 27 years old, you sold out a business you had grown significantly and you really didn't need to do anything else in the way that most of us think about it, where we got to get out there, you know, as our buddy Dave Ramsey would say, kill something, drag it home so you can pay the mortgage. You were finished. You didn't have to do that. What was your thinking at that point at 27 years old? You know, I thought poor kid from Nashville, Tennessee makes enough money in nine years to retire and life is good. And then 18 months later, man, I'm waking up. I gained 50 pounds. Robin goes, this is not what I signed up for. And I'm like, golly, Robin, I'm bored out of my mind. I don't have anything to do. You can only hunt and fish so much. And a lot of people say, man, I'd love to try that for a little while and go ahead. It's fun for a little while. But my goodness, at 27 years old, by that time I'm 28, 28 and a half years old. And I'm thinking, she said, you got to go do something. I don't care what you do. Get a job, go back in business, do something. Listen, guys, you've got to have a purpose, right? You've got to have a reason to get up each and every day. And, you know, Dan, I didn't have trusted advisors at that time. You know, it was after that, that we got together 
in the mastermind group that we've spent two decades being involved with each other now in these masterminds. But I wish that I had had mastermind participants and members around me when I was 27. I didn't have anybody, right? I was making these decisions on my own. And I look back now and think maybe it wasn't even the best decision. Maybe I should have, you know, been an absentee owner and hired a manager. I could have expanded it maybe even further, but I didn't have anybody. And that's why I'm thankful I got you today to help me you know, take me down these journeys. And, uh, seriously, a lot of people that are listening to this don't know the story, but it seriously is because of you that I'm coaching. Now you told me six years ago, man, you can't quit. This is your third time retiring. What are you going to do with yourself? Sit on the front porch and rock yourself to sleep. And you virtually kind of grabbed me and said, man, wake up. You need to coach. And so that's <laughs> what I'm doing now. And I'm absolutely Dan. owe it all to you, man. Uh, you've really, really shown me a new way. And, probably having more fun now than ever. Uh, well, I, I appreciate that. But it's it's people like you who take action, who figure this all out. But there's so many things that you kind of dropped in just your comments there. One is, it's not just about making money that gets us up in the morning. We've got to have a reason, got to have a purpose. So even if money is not the motivator, there's got to be something. You know, and for a lot of people, I think that's a tougher question than just the idea of having to get out and make money. I mean, that we understand. How do you approach this when, and, and you've done this a couple times, you know, let's talk about the second time where you got into construction, we're building high-end homes, you quit again, sold out on that business, thinking you were going to just retire again. And I know I kind of challenged you at that point. I think I told you that. <laughs> You always do, man. You're worse than Robin. I mean, you're like, on my butt constantly. Well, Come on, keep moving, keep moving. You I, won't let me sit down for a minute. I think my words to you were that um, to just at that point in your life, sit on the front porch and rock yourself to sleep was probably the most selfish thing I'd ever heard anybody say in that you had so much to offer, but that's a different kind of motivation. So, what brought you back into the game so aggressively, even though finances were not the motivator? You realized you had something to offer. Explain to our listeners a little bit about how you went through that process of discovering a new purpose that motivated you. Well, you know what happened, and it's really cool. It's kind of a really cool place for me today, the sanctuary, because that's really where I realized it. And you invited me to do Innovate, and I came out and really enjoyed that. Dave Ramsey invited me to do Entree Leadership Mastery Series and really enjoyed that. But it was the second night I was on my way home, and you texted me because we all live here in Nashville, not too far from each other. And you said, Aaron, did you see the people leaning in, listening to your story? And I just text back and said, I'm a good storyteller. And you said, no, you've got all this business experience, 30 plus years of business, 30 plus years of marriage, and you've really got something to say. Well, it really dawned on me once you said that. I went home and told Robin what you said, and I kind of questioned it. You know, I, I'm like, D really? I mean, seriously, is it that big a deal? Tom Schwab has helped me with this. He said, you know, what's ordinary to you is extraordinary to us. Others. And we take that for granted oftentimes. And I started thinking through my passion from being involved in men's groups and mastermind groups and accountability groups. And we chose, you know, to help ordinary men become extraordinary. And that's what we do now. We have national and international clients. We have eight mastermind groups that we facilitate on a weekly basis. And just to think of the changes 
the growth that has happened, edifying, encouraging people and seeing their life change. You instilled that in me. You pointed it out to me. You showed me something that I didn't see in myself. And it really opened my eyes and uh, gave me the possibilities of what could be in the future if I would just expand on it. So we did. We kind of went for it and we work hard. You know me, Dan. You know me a long time. You know, when I get in something, I'm going to work hard. And we've really, really worked hard and diligent. And God has just multiplied it. And it's just been amazing. Well, again, I commend you on taking action like you have. Always massive action, whatever the endeavor is. You're in it full speed, 110%. And it certainly has been borne out in what you're doing now when you accepted the idea of coaching those who were farther behind you on a path. You know, you didn't come into this with fancy degrees, certification, credentials, and all of that that I'll sometimes think are important, but just a lot of success. And that success is motivating to people. Now, when you came into this, and there's, there's something I know I've used you as an example on my podcast previously, but you came into this with no email list, no blog list, you weren't a podcaster, you hadn't done any of the things in this space. You were worse, you were used to physical work, Mm -hmm. bricks and mortar kind of businesses. And now you came into this information space. So you really had no audience. And we talked about how you could borrow the credibility of other people. You did that with a degree of excellence like I've never experienced at all. Talk to us a little bit about the one thing that you did that put you on the map so quickly. Well, the thing that I discovered was, is that we were going to go national and international. And it wasn't something that I could do like I did in bricks and mortar, where you just take out a ad in the newspaper or local magazine or local radio station. I'm like, hey, my audience, you know, if you're a male 27 to 55 years old, you're the guy. And someone introduced me to podcasts and they said, you need to get on podcasts. I said, I'll be happy to get on it. What is it? <laughs> Let me figure out what it is. And once you introduce, so they did. And I really educated myself on that. And then I went out and got on a couple of podcasts and very fortunate, got on some pretty good sized shows. And then it kind of went from there. And I started thinking, you know, I could start my own podcast. That'd be great, but it would take me years to develop the audience that I could leverage myself and be the expert guest on their audience, build my audience and then start mine. And so that's exactly what I did. Done over 400 interviews in the past 30 months. And the more you do, the more invites you get. It's the consistency. And I think people miss that. They try to do two or three or even a dozen and they go, yeah, it didn't work for me. It's like, are you kidding? Man, you got to get out there and go after it. You've got to be deliberate. You've got to put your head down and focus on a few things, be an inch wide and a mile deep on a few things. And that's what we did. I've written hundreds of blogs now and I've done hundreds of podcast interviews and I don't have to do everything. You don't need to do everything well. You just need to do a few things really, really well. Be that inch wide and a mile deep in a few places, and it will take you places you've never been. So that's what we've done. We've just elected to get in our lane and stay there and do it consistently, and it's paid off. And I think that's a really important point. A lot of people jump into business at this point and see all these social media tools that we've got, get enamored by the tools, uh, forget their real core message, and uh, just spin their wheels a lot, you know, trying to update their Facebook page and do something on LinkedIn without getting in the game like you did. Now, again, you came into this without a long background, just a lot of great uh, in, in this space, without background, you know, in coaching, teaching, speaking, blogging, podcasting, and all that. But you realize this is a way to leverage your 
your message and to go places you had never been. Used to bricks and mortar businesses where, you know, you're going to address people five miles from where you where you are. And that's pretty much it. Now you're touching guys that are all over the world, literally. Now you have taken that core message, some of the stories that we're talking about here. There's one other story I want you to talk about real quickly, but now you put these together in view from the top, which is one more way to leverage your message, and you're doing some unique things even as you're releasing your book that most people don't do. But there's a story that impacted you. Several years ago, you had an incident early morning. Mm. Talk to us a little bit about that and how that is a piece of what you're doing now. Well, what happened to me was I was hyper-focused on myself. I'm a poor kid, had nothing, made a little money at 27, started another business, grew it, you know, four or five times the size it was when I bought the business. And so now I'm 40 years old at this time, two little girls, life is good. We've got a place on the beach. We've got a beautiful house in Nashville. Things couldn't be any better. I'm like, my goodness, this is the American dream. Until August 1st, 2001, I'm headed to the office, going down Gallatin Pike in Nashville, busy four-lane highway, and a guy named Enrique was crossing the street to catch a local bus, didn't look my way, and I ran over and killed a pedestrian. Man, you talking about your life coming to a screeching halt, Dan. It was like amazing. Well, I won't take you through that whole process, but we decided to retire again. Robin said I've retired more than the law allows. <laughs> and so we sold the business. I took the next five years off. And here's what I discovered. And this is kind of the catalyst as to what I talk about in the book. I want you to be very successful. I can't stand it when people with money go, money doesn't matter. I want to go, you liar. It is extremely important. Let's take it away from you and see how important it is. But don't make it your only reason you're doing what you're doing. Don't make it your God. Use it as a tool to live your life. And the other side of the coin was significance. See, I had great success, but I had no significance. Everything I was doing, Dan, was about me and Robin and my kids, and nothing was about other people. And I want you to know today that by being very intentional on being significant, and we spend 20, 25% of our time reaching out, edifying, encouraging, lifting up, promoting other people, I'm twice as successful financially as I was in the bricks and mortar business. And now I can lay down at night and say, you know what, we're successful, but we're also significant. And that absolutely was the reason that I wrote the book is to teach you, you don't have to pick one or the other. You can have both success and significance. Boy, that is so important. So many important principles there. Well, again, congratulations, my friend. I'm delighted to see the success and significance that you've established in just these last few years so quickly. You've reached uh, a level of success in what you're doing in this space that a lot of people think it takes 20 years to get to. No, if you're intentional, if you do things very strategically as you've done, you can accelerate that path. The book is View from the Top. Tell us a little bit about the book, where people can get it, and maybe even some bonuses you've got for our listeners, Aaron. Well, yeah, thank you, Dan. You know, it's kind of a memoir. I give a little bit of my story. Now, listen, I don't do the Facebook persona. I tell it all. I tell the valleys. I tell the mountaintops. I expose everything and I just tell you, hey, this is the way it's done for 38 years. And so I don't hold anything back. 
I talk about setting boundaries. I talk about breaking free from the things that are holding you back. And I tell you to surround yourself with wise people like I've done with you and Dave and Ken Abraham. Some of those amazing guys that are out there in the community. Our mastermind group has absolutely been a catalyst for the success that I've had over the years. So I'm very appreciative for that. You can go to viewfromthetop.com forward slash book. And if you pre-order my book now, we only have a couple of weeks left. June 20th is the launch date. So here we are the ninth. If you go now and get the book, I'm going to give you a digital copy of the mastermind blueprint. It's another book that I wrote with my partner in interview valet, Tom Schwab. Seth Godin just gave us the endorsement. Uh, he said this was an amazing book and we put it right on the cover. I said, we should take my name off and leave Seth on there, but I'm going <laughs> to give you a copy of that book along with five interviews. One being Dan Miller, Pat Flynn, John Lee Dumas, Cliff, uh, Ray Edwards and, uh, Lee Cockrell. I had to think for a second. Oh. I, I've been talking to Cliff Ravenscraft and his name just came to my mind. <laughs> and if you go now, I'm going to give you all five of those one hour interviews along with pre-order in the book. So Dan, as always, buddy, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Ah, thanks so much. Well, Hey, it's, I highly recommend it without reservation view from the top by my good longtime friend, Aaron Walker. It'll help you put a fire under your life so you realize the, golly, the emptiness of just working toward retirement, the emptiness of just working for money. I mean, those are big lessons that we need to learn along the line and hopefully can learn before we get to be 75 years old. So learn them now from View from the Top. Go to viewfromthetop.com slash book. Aaron, thanks for spending your time with us and encouraging our listeners. Thanks, Dan. We'll see you, buddy. Well, there you go. You've heard me talk about Aaron a lot. This is his first book, Major Accomplishment. Always delighted to encourage people. And I recommend, again, just go to viewfromthetop.com slash book to check out the book and all the cool bonuses that he talked about. All right, let me grab a couple more questions here. This comes from Reba, who says, My husband and I started a successful music lesson business about four years ago. It has allowed me to be a stay-at-home mom and homeschool my children and also to teach lessons in the afternoon and evening. Last year, I experimented with some other avenues, such as starting a community girls' choir, offering lessons in other instruments, dabbling in group lessons, and even hiring a teacher to help, help out with the workload. My ultimate goal would be to teach only a few lessons a week and simply manage the studio and teachers. I was recently approached by my daughter's art teacher about offering art lessons at our studio. I would love to jump on this as I'm in a prime location for after school traffic. I'm on school property. It could also potentially bring in good in amount of income for me, allowing me more time with my family. However, now here's, here's Reva's question. Very sensitive question. However, there is another art teacher in town who's working on building her art studio. We are a smaller rural community, and I would like to keep from straining relationships if possible. I would like to be upfront with her about what I would like to do and was wondering if I should try to collaborate with her somehow. Not really sure how, but just want to keep things on a friendly level for everyone. Any advice you could give would be greatly appreciated. Thanks in advance. Well, Reva, I love your question. I love your heart. I love what you are have already done commend you on taking action and having the success that you already have here's great news 
There are nothing but green lights for you to go ahead and do what you want to do here. You have the interest, you have the perfect connections, the ideal location, and a ready market. Now, the reason there's no, there's nothing but green lights is because there are so many legitimate approaches to teaching art. Your little town will be better off with several of you teaching art. I mean, that way students get a broader and healthier overview of the options. I mean, I see people coming through joining my wife's art classes here, and then I hear about them being part of Debbie Dearman's classes or being part of, you know, another teacher in Melody Jackson's classes. But golly, all these gals know each other because some, if there's a lot of options, the students are going to get a broader and healthier overview. Some are going to teach watercolors, some pencil sketching, some will use graphite, some acrylic, some using brushes, some use palette knives. I mean, some teachers are going to be great with portrait sketches, others with landscapes. Joanne just had somebody come in and his, his focus is trees, how to do trees. So they look really realistic, but he's not going to teach them how to do faces. He teaches trees. I mean, no one has all the great approaches to art covered. And I want to think about it a little bit. This is, I love this kind of metaphor that we're developing here. And it applies to so many things where we think, oh, somebody's already doing it. No, when you see a car dealer build a new dealership on the edge of town, what happens? Lots of other dealers are going to build right next door. They know having all the competitors close together helps everyone. Same thing is true with restaurants. When you pull off an exit on the freeway, you don't hope that they're, you know, not competing, that they're a mile apart from each other. No. They don't want to be in isolated locations. They want to be right next to each other because they know that helps everybody's success elevate. Now think about it. You know, every time you see a Home Depot, you know that with an eyesight, there's going to be a Lowe's. And and when you pass a Walmart, golly, there's going to be a Target not far down the road. It's just, it's this cluster theory that retail businesses certainly understand but you, you really hit on the key issue. See the other teacher now, the other art teacher, as a collaborator, not as a competitor. Get to know her unique teaching talents and areas of focus so you can refer to her when it would be better, a better fit for your potential students. You know, there's, there's a movie that Joanne absolutely loves. It's Miracle on 34th Street. It's the old movie about Macy's at Christmas time. And it's where Santa Claus you know, not being very sophisticated, he directs a customer to another store for a toy Macy's doesn't have. Now, you know, the store people went nuts. You know, what are you talking about? You know, you never refer somebody to. And then what happened when he told a female shopper to go to another store for a fire engine for her son that they didn't have, she was so impressed that she tells the head of Macy's that she has just become a loyal customer because of that kindness. She later informs another mother that art, that the arch rival Gimbel's has better skates for her daughter. Well, actually Santa Claus, Chris did that again, but in doing that, it elevated the confidence people had in Macy's. I mean, there's a real key component in that movie, Miracle on 34th street. That's what you've got happening. That's what you, you, you have the ability to do that. As a coach, I get hundreds of requests for my personal coaching. And if you want to check that out, I'd be delighted to look at it. 
Just go to 48days.com, click on coaching, and you can fill out a little profile there. I refer 99% of those to other people who have skills that are beautiful matches for what those people need. It would be ludicrous for me to pretend to be a coach for whatever ails you, whatever you want to accomplish. No, I know very narrowly what it is where I can add a unique value, where I am energized, the kind of situations where I can really come alive and help you see things in a new way. But it's not broad. It's very narrow. Yeah. Wow. I move, move ahead. Love what you're doing. Love your heart on it. But uh, you can move ahead with confidence. But yeah, the first thing, go talk to the other lady. Tell her that, wow, this is exciting. We'll be able to refer back and forth. You know, what is it that you do that's unique? Here's what I'm going to be doing that's unique. We can really help each other and, and grow the entire community's ability in art. What a cool thing to be part of that. Well, hey, just a couple other things here. A couple other things regarding the the just... Uh, I've got just kind of news you can use here that I want to wrap up with. The May jobs data shows that we have added 253,000 jobs in May. Now what's happening? Now this is not a political commentary at all. I'm not smart enough to understand the implications of all of that, but be that as it may, we see what's happening in the workplace. People are confident. People are adding new jobs as fast as they can, 253,000 new jobs added. Now that means our unemployment rate is at 4.4%. That's the lowest it's been in a long, long history. Out of check. I mean, that's really low. Anytime it's under five, we consider us to have full employment because there's always going to be at least 5% of people who are in between jobs or, you know, making changes that they desire on their own. Well, we're at 4.4%. I mean, it's so low that there's federal concern about it, how they may have to adjust rates to compensate for that. Because what it means also is that employers can't find people to work. That means if you're a job seeker, there's never been a better time than right now. There's so many jobs being added every day. We had an example just yesterday in our coaching mastery program, Marianne, a delightful story about meeting with the mayor in her town. And she described a coaching process that would really help the leadership of her city. He agreed. Guess what her next move was? She volunteered to be the person they contracted with. This is not a freebie. They contracted with her. She described what needed to be done. They said, yes, we agree and hired her after very brief negotiations to fulfill that. I mean, what a cool story. I'm going to have her share that in our mastery group. Now, here's some other things that are happening. I, I think I'm getting cards almost daily in my mailbox because here in Franklin, Tennessee, UPS is looking for package handlers, $14 an hour. They get right on the card, 14 bucks an hour. So we're not talking about places that are, you know, the, gee, they just have the $7 and 50 cent hour, you know, minimum wage jobs that are available. No, here's one at twice that twice the minimum wage, $14 an hour to start with, please show up UPS reputable company, obviously lots of those. And there are signs everywhere here where I live and probably where you are as well. Now, here's a new thing that started that's kind of interesting. Walmart has, in their attempts to compete with Amazon, of course, we know that Amazon has taken over in so many areas and you can get anything that you can think of delivered to you probably tomorrow. Well, they're starting to use their employees as a delivery service so that 
staffers, employee, Walmart employees, are paid extra to transport to drop orders off on their way home. Now, here's the deal. They have stores within 10 miles of 90% of the United States population. Think about that. There's a Walmart store within 10 miles of 90% of the American U.S. population. They have over 1 million employees. So they have, a red, they have everything in place already. So now they're just saying they're going to use their employees as delivery people and pay them extra when they're driving home anyway. I mean, everybody wins on that. I love those kind of examples. There's so many things that are happening in the workplace today. So many exciting new opportunities that are coming along. And make sure that you keep telling us about what you're experiencing, your success, your questions. Just shoot those in to askdan at 48days.com. You know the routine. Delighted to share those here each week. Well, hey, in this process of recognizing change, Yes, I do have new controls for my music here. Sorry about that. Cliff Ravenscraft has set me up. I got controls. I can make it anywhere we want to. So I'll bring it down there a little bit. Forgot to do that in advance. But anyway, knowing the music is here, we're at the end. Hey, if you haven't checked out 40dayseagles.com, check it out. Now, I need to tell you, we're going to be raising the monthly fee for that. It's currently $30 a month. When we hit 500 members, we're going to raise it to 36. We're on our way to $48 a month, which is where it'll stop. But right now it's only at 30 and we still have, we're at 416 members. As I'm recording this, we're at 416 members. When we hit 500, that's going to switch to $36 a month. Now's a great time to get involved. Check out the activity there. We've got Monday mentor calls every Monday. We've got people sharing unique areas of expertise. We got people talking about the vacations they're going on, the new businesses they're starting, the, the books they're writing, and we share and promote each other's books and new businesses, just like I recommend on here. So whatever it is that you're doing, we wish you increased success, increased satisfaction. May not be increased money. That's not necessarily the point. As Aaron talked about, it has to be because there's a clear sense of purpose. What is your why? Your why is more important than the how and the what. Let me talk about that more next week. Know your why. Why do you do what you do? We don't care about what it is or how you do it. Why do you do it? That's what really connects you with work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Thanks for being part of the 48 Days family. Let us know how we can serve you well.